You're listening to episode 125 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Dean Hollingworth. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you listening to the show. And today I have a fantastic interview with Dean Hollingworth. He has a fantastic resume. I've had him on the podcast before, as well as on a couple of my tennis summits. And Dean has over 25, I think 26 years of experience as a strength and conditioning coach. He's established himself as a highly regarded author, speaker, and fitness and performance consultant. He has a very strong background by way of being a certified strength and conditioning specialist, a master tennis performance specialist by the International Tennis Performance Association, and he's also part of Team USPTR. He also published the fantastic Baseline Power video series, which addresses all aspects of fitness training for tennis players, and he is currently the director of fitness and sports performance at, and Dean was trying to train me on this, Club Sportif. Cote Dulius in Montreal. He has worked with all levels of tennis players, including ITF, ATP, and WTA players that uh, include a Grand Slam champion and Olympic gold medalist and the number one ranked doubles player as well. And Dean is just really a fantastic, passionate person when it comes to fitness and tennis and a great guy. We've hung out before, uh, had some really fun times, and you should definitely visit um, his website, deanhollingworth.com, and also baselinepower.com. So we'll have a great talk about uh, movement, strength, explosive power, recovery, and more. So you'll really want to tune into this one and hopefully have a notepad and a pen with you or take some notes on the computer or your phone. A lot of great principles for you to follow in this interview with Dean. So without further ado... I would like to bring you my interview with Dean Hollingworth. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. It's really a pleasure and an honor to have my good friend Dean Hollingworth on the podcast once again. Uh, he is one of my trusty allies in the tennis world. Uh, I really love him, actually. He's a great guy. We've hung out a couple of times and... Uh, had some great times, really. I, I don't know if I should go too far into it. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, probably not. But Dean, uh, he is the Director of Fitness and Sports Performance at Club Sportif Cote d'Ulias in Montreal. Did I get that right? Very good. You yes. nailed it. Yes. Yeah. Dean, I, good for thank you. you. Dean. Dean was actually coaching me for about like five minutes on tra- trying to get the name right. But Dean works with primarily high-performance tennis players. As I mentioned in the in his bio, he's worked with uh, some world-class pros as well. And um, he's just a pleasure to, to talk to. And so he's been on episode 56 of the podcast. Uh, he's also been on Tennis Summit 2018 and 2019. So 
Uh, it's great having you back, at, you know, after about 70 some episodes, although we did talk earlier this year. So uh, pleasure to have you again. Hey, Maraban, thank you so much for having me. I've been excited about this all day, really looking forward to it. And it's always a pleasure uh, talking with you. And thank you for everything you do. I mean, it, the, the, the product that you're putting out there is so solid. I think it's important for coaches and players, uh, especially the younger coaches uh, coming up. It's such a huge wealth of um, information. Well, thanks so much, Dean. I mean, like I mentioned, uh, you're one of the best guys around in, in the uh, tennis community. And uh, it's always fun talking with you, as I mentioned uh, before we re- started recording, yeah. just like we're, you know, talking like buddies. But, uh, you know, I have to thank the, all the coaches like you. I mean, you're the ones that really bring the knowledge to this podcast. And so I really appreciate it. So uh, I just want to jump in. You know, I, I think this question uh, pops up for all players, you know, we're excited. We get pumped up one day and we want to improve our fitness, but then we look at our fitness and we have so many different aspects that we need to improve. You know, you've got the balance, speed, power, endurance, flexibility, the list goes on. And, and sometimes we don't act because we don't know, you know, which one to start on. So I was wondering if you could give us some advice on how to approach, um, you know, starting our fitness training when we have many different areas to improve? Well, I think, I think that's a great question. And it's a great place to start this podcast, honestly. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They don't know where to start. Usually when I get a client or an athlete, let's say for the first time, they have a lot of ideas where they want to go. And they're telling me a lot about where their needs are in terms of their sport and their performance. I have to take a step back from that. I mean, I listen and that's probably the most important information I can receive. But unless an assessment is performed on the athlete, you don't know what you're doing. It's only guesswork. If you don't assess, it's only guessing. So what I'll do when an athlete comes to me, first of all, we'll start with some type of body assessment, whether I'm putting them through the FMS, uh, the racket fit or um, a type of assessment that I've put together from various articles, organizations that I've you know, learned from, I put them through that and then I get to see where their body is. We're not even talking yet about their performance, speed, strength, none of that stuff. Because let's put it this way, if your body can't perform various movements, it doesn't matter if you, how strong you get, you'll never be able to perform them. So essentially, it's trying to really create a solid foundation. And that starts with good movement, mobility, and stability. And from that, then you can start building the strength and the speed into it. Because let's face it, if you start adding resistance on an improper movement pattern, then you're just get, getting that bad movement pattern stronger. And one thing, I, I, you know, if I'm talking to the kids, they always laugh. I said, listen. If you have a pile of poop and you put more poop on it, you just got a bigger pile of poop. And we laugh about that, but the reality is then you have to break that down and you have to start rebuilding again. Once the movement assessment is done, then I start putting them through more of a physical assessment. So some of the some of the drills or tests, let's call them, that I put them through maybe a, a 5-10-5, a long jump, a high jump, a 10, a 20-meter Um, the fan drill, medicine ball throws. And then you can start getting an idea from the various norms that are out there where your athlete ranks and and where where you need to work on. Got it, Dean. Great stuff. So when you talk about like 
breaking it or going back to the basics, I guess, like, you, you know, instead of putting more poop on top of, of your broken body. Uh, <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the difference. It really does. That's getting on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, but, you know, what, what exactly do you do? Like, do you go back to like the flexibility or like, how do you go back to the basics? Of the movement. Well, the assessment will tell me what I start. I need to start looking at. So, for example, let's say I have an athlete that has, I mean, for tennis, let's talk about thoracic spine mobility, which is essential. So, if the athlete has very weak thoracic spine, that's going to be one of our key aspects that we're going to want to work on. Because as we know, I mean, rotation, whether it's on your forehand, your backhand, on your serve, thoracic spine mobility is really important. Let's talk about a little about hips now, because that's kind of a different thing. Your going back, your thoracic spine will start playing with how much rotation you can have. You know whether you're hit when you're hitting the ball. When you start getting tight hips, that's not only starting to affect various movement patterns. Let's talk about squats. That can start affecting your squats. Tight hips can start affecting how I cross over, how I sprint. So until those are really looked at and and focused on and we hammer away at that the other stuff I'm not saying you can't work on it because it doesn't mean that for the next month you're only gonna do corrective exercises I'm not saying that at all I'm saying that you that has to be a focus while still working on the other side and lastly if I may finish you know talking about ankles and this brings up a really good point many years ago when I first started off as as a strength conditioning coach at club Code de Lies. Um, so yeah, I can say it too. Um, thanks. <laughs> um, I had this young girl come to me and, and her father happened to have been a, is a friend of mine and she was about 13, 14 years old and she was having some very serious, um, problems moving on the court. I mean, nothing terrible, maybe serious was a little bit of a harsh word, but she wasn't a good mover, but yet she was really an athletic kid who played ringette and other sports and really excelled at a lot of sports, but had a hard time um, getting into good position and moving laterally, especially in her crossover or even waiting in, in an athletic position. So started working with her and you know, it's weird because I knew him. I just wanted to work with her. I wanted to give her some stuff to do right away, but nothing was working. So I said, okay, we got to stop this. I'm taking a huge step back and I'm putting you through the FMS. Well, she couldn't squat. So let's, let's think about that for a minute. You can't squat. And it was mainly due to her ankle. She had very bad ankle mobility. So you can't squat. What does that mean? Well, you can't really do box jumps or any type of jumps like that. Even if it's single leg or double leg, it's really going to interfere. How are you going to get into a good athletic stance on the court waiting for, for return or even waiting for the ball to come back to you? So what turned out for this young girl as pretty much a boring type of session where we assessed and we corrected really opened up a path for her to really start developing. And that was our awesome foundation got you great subject. and so fms is that functional movement uh systems screen screen sorry functional right. movement screen yes right right and then yeah. so i i attended a racket fit seminar and so it seems like mm. is it that racket fit kind of um goes along with the fms but is specific for tennis players is that something that you use as well a lot racket fit listen yeah it <laughs> it's funny 
the racket fit, if, if you're a tennis coach or a tennis trainer and you're not on top of racket fit, you don't know what's going on racket fit, I'm telling you right now, you're missing out. Yeah. Because racket fit is an amazing tool that everybody should have in their toolbox. Yes, the, the FMS is part of Greg Cook and, and, and Dr. Greg Rose is part of it. And Dr. Greg Rose is part of the racket fit along with Sean Drake. Uh, Jeff Salsestein and and you know our good friend uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs, and the this at this point RacketFit's looking at the body um, mind connection for the serve. So the assessment is really uh, looking at uh, the various qualities of the serve and how it can be affected by by improper movement patterns or lack of movement, proper movement. Yeah, and I uh, I've had. I think pretty much all those guys on the podcast. I know I was just <laughs> searching yeah. on my archives. I think uh, Dr. Sean Drake was number 82. So, yeah, they're just really some legendary staff on there. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, but if you don't mind me saying, yeah. I, you know, I just want to put this out here. I mean, you, you ha- you've interviewed all these guys. Anybody listening to them, I mean, those four gentlemen – for sure you have to listen to. I mean, it's going to be eye-opening on on such a large level. What would you say is maybe one of the biggest things, this is a random question, one of the biggest things that you've learned from Dr. Sean Drake? Maybe something he's told you that has resonated with you. Wow. I mean, that's, that's really trying um, to narrow it down uh, <laughs> a lot. Um, I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time with Sean um, a couple of times in at the tennis congress, Vegas racket fit, and also racket fit in Long Beach over a year ago. Uh, Sean's been an amazing person to work with and to learn from. One thing specifically, wow. You know, the one thing, and I said at the top of the show, is if you're not assessing, you're only guessing. And I think that really hammers it. As much as I was a believer in, in assessment, RacketFit completely opened up my eyes to a new way of assessing. And just because it's serve-related doesn't mean it's just for the serve, if that makes any sense, because that's completely contradictory. But it really shows you lack of hip mobility, lack of ankle mobility, lack of thoracic spine mobility, wrists, all this stuff. It, it's amazing. So, Dean, one thing with Racket Fit is, you know, they, they you pretty much have two choices. You know, when you find out some sort of limitation in your body, you either work on that limitation or you can kind of um, teach around it. So, I mean, it, in your view, I mean, do you think that the majority of people – if they put the work in, they can actually increase their, their range of motion and, and eventually have um, better, more efficient technique? Um, a hundred percent, Maraban. There is no doubt in my mind. Listen, when we were in Arizona for the Tennis Congress, I mean, the, the changes that can occur in a very short amount of time, I'm talking just in 10, 15 minutes by doing various mobility exercises. You find you take somebody that's very limited yeah. in thoracic spine, you put them through a couple of exercises, you can increase that by a nice amount of rotation. Now, granted, it's something you have to maintain. It's not a one, you know, it's not a one-trick pony. You don't do it one day and boom, you're there. No, it's something you have to work on. But I've had the I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of athletes that have had you know, whether it's ankle problems, hip problems, or thoracic spine problems, of giving them programs to follow. And sure enough, after like three, four, six weeks, they come back. If again, you have to work on it, you have to put the time. And when you're doing it, it has to be with some purposeful training. 
but they can get some really solid results. Yeah, Dean, I remember in particular one of the exercises, well, there was one that we did that involved a lot of um, breathing. Yes. And it really increased the rotation by a ridiculous amount, you know, eventually. So what is it about breathing that like allows you to, to rotate more? Well, you know, it's your rotation can be affected by, by a few things. I mean, it can be affected by, by your rib cage, by your spine, and by the, by the fascia. You know, the one where you just, all you have to do really, one thing that we worked on in Vegas was you lie on your back and you need a partner and you just move the rib cage back and forth and see the restriction of it. And just through this type of deep breathing. Now, deep breathing, one of the problems is, Maribana, is that people do not breathe correctly. I mean, that's, that, that's obvious. You can see it. Like when I ask the kids, our high performance junior players, I'm saying, listen, show me a deep breath and you get this, this like chest type of breathing. That's not, that's not deep breathing. That's just like a respiration. It's just for, to maintain life, if you will. But when you get someone able to start expanding the rib cage, you know, in a 3d fashion out to the sides, out to the front, that really starts, you know, expanding the rib cage. It's almost, I, I consider it an internal type of stretch. Very interesting stuff there, Dean. Yeah. And so going back to the, the case study that you mentioned with the, with the girl who had a lot of mobility issues, like, did you just put her under like a heavy, like stretching and mobility, like training type of, you know, what did you do with her to help her actually regain or increase her, her, her range of motion? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say a big heavy dose. Um, one of the things, especially with junior players, it's it's really difficult to get them to stretch and work on mobility. That's the first thing. And listen, I've I've had to recover from numerous injuries, and and I can sympathize because quite honestly, it can be boring as hell. Yeah, you know. Um, so you don't want to give too much to the point where it's just a long list, a big laundry list, and you just feel like the work will never get done. You, you pick, you know, a few specific exercises. You really hope that that chips away at it. And the good thing is it's really easy to find out if it's working or not. If I take you, Maraban, and I see you have a lack of mobility in a certain area of your body, and I give you two exercises, and we first we have to test. Then we prescribe, and then we retest. If there's no change in the retest, then I know what I've given you is useless, and I have to try again. And if I can't, then we try and find, you know, a therapist or someone that that will have better success. Gotcha. Good stuff, Dean. So assuming that you're, you know, that you have your base correct and, and you know, you're, you're in good shape with your with your body and, and your range of motion. What are some exercises that you like to prescribe to tennis players to help them uh, improve their movement on court? Okay, so that's a great question. Now, that really depends on where they're at in terms of their movement to begin with. So, sure. you know, we talk about, we talk about you know, a person's age if, if, if an athlete is 14 years old. Then we can talk about what their maturity age is. And then there's something that I look at that I like to think of as their movement age or even their fitness age. Because in a certain way, it almost brings me a certain amount of joy when we get a visiting athlete to our club, most times, I would say not at least not, you know, 95 times out of 100, I can see a different in our athletes compared to other athletes because they just not, most other clubs don't have the same type of fitness uh, development program 
as we do. So it's really noticeable, not only in their movement, but in their strength and in their stability. So it really depends on what you may or what I may think is a person's, uh, person's movement age. Their low box training, I really like the, there's certain exercises on a, on, on a step, like a Reebok step that you can do. Those are really exercises that I would pull out for somebody that maybe, for example, has a hard time changing direction. And just having them learn how to shuffle over a box and, and get into a good um, angle for deceleration and change of direction. Okay. Having said that, once you're able to do that and the athlete's able to start learning and being put into a proper position, okay, because now we've said that their foundation is clean, do they have the little basic movement nuances, if you will, there to actually put them in the right pattern? I mean, sometimes we see young athletes that are running to the, you know, for a wide ball and they have a hard time stopping. Maybe it's a lack of strength. Maybe it's, and often it's just a lack of positioning of the athlete too, of where to put their foot and how to decelerate properly. So those are some really um, great exercises. I think also teaching young athletes um, or any athlete like that, depending, again, I'm talking from a junior standpoint, plyometric training, I think that's phenomenal. Also, I think plyometrics are really important, especially if they're introduced properly. They're not only great for developing power, but they're great for injury prevention and learning how to create force and decelerate. And Dean, uh, you know, a lot of people might not even know what plyometric training is. So could you so, kind of just summarize what the principle is behind that? Okay. So, yeah. Do, okay. So I think this is really important because I, I learned this at the beginning of my days as a strength conditioning coach, I was at a uh, NSCA uh, conference and I was listening to Mark Verstajian, who is extremely well known in the fitness world and created Athletes Performance and now it's turned into EXOS. So he showed this demonstration that if I wanted to hit my, my hand on my chest with my finger, I could only create so much power, right? But now if I take this finger and I snap it back, now I've just created a lot more energy. Yeah. So I'm just using my own muscles mm -hmm. in a stretch reflex to create more power. Got it. Got it. Very cool. So if you if, if you think of it this way, as I go down in my squat to explode, I've stretched and I'm using that energy that's been built up to explode forward to go up. Gotcha. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, do you Perfect. are you using sometimes like bands and things like that when you do plyometrics or is it primarily just your your body weight well again that that comes down to a person's fitness age or movement yeah. age so yeah. with the junior players uh funny we should be having this discussion today we just took a new step forward so for example we're just learning hops so a hop is on the same leg a bound is if i'm talking about bounding plyometrics is jumping from your left leg to your right leg. If I'm talking about hops, I'm just staying on one leg. So we were we were working on linear hops going forward and lateral hops separately. Today was the first day we put them together where the athletes had to perform lateral hops into linear hops and into a sp into a sprint. With some of my more advanced, then we can start doing depth jumps where it's you're coming off a box, increasing the amount of force production that's being created. You can have the athletes hold some weights 
And also you can use some, some bands to, to prevent them, you know, to keep them down. The only thing is you don't want to go overboard with this because if you start taking too much away from the power production, then you're going into another zone where I think you're actually going to start not doing harm in terms of hurting the athlete. You could if the weight's way too high, but also in terms of just creating more of a slow response than a powerful response, which we see a lot with, which I see a lot with medicine ball throws. You know, gotcha, the kids, gotcha, the gotcha. small kids holding these 10, 12 pound balls, and it looks like um, the, the world man uh, competition, heavy, yeah, strong man competition, that's it. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And uh, Dean, I just want to mention too, I mean, you, you've created a great program called uh, Baseline Power, and I was wondering if you could kind of just talk about like, you know, about what's in that course as well. Yeah, th- thank you for asking that. Um, baseline power was created was created uh, just a little two uh, two years ago. It was really a bucket list of mine and and a passion of mine. Quite honestly, I'm I'm extremely passionate about fitness and movement and training, and I wanted to provide something uh, to parents, coaches, and players um, that could answer all their fitness questions. So it's called your top eight fitness questions answered. So it goes through everything from what's a good warm up. Uh, movement drills, agility drills, acceleration, plyometrics, um, medicine ball throws, training, recovery, and core, pretty much. Yeah, it's definitely an awesome program, and there have been some great, great reviews that I've I've gotten from it. So, Dean, as far as the warm-up, which you just mentioned that is in uh, Baseline Power, I mean, what is like a good warm-up for the average player? You know, what's how long should it be? What types of exercises are acceptable? Yeah, that, that's, that is the money question. That is um, a great, great question. And I, I just want to share a quick story here. So I have a, a young 15-year-old player came back from an ITF in the, the Bahamas. And I was asking him about him, asking about the the tournament in front of the other athletes because I think it's really important to share. They can learn a lot from somebody. They want to go to ITFs and, hey, here's somebody that's been to ITFs so we can learn from him. So the thing he said to me, I said, what was one of the things you took away from this experience? He said, the number one seed warmed up for 45 minutes prior to his match. And I was like, God bless you for saying that. You know, how much time do you need that's always the big question. I mean, I think you don't want to go overboard with it either. You don't want to tie your athlete out. The way we started, I came up with a eight-minute mobility circuit to begin. And the reason why I say eight minutes is that I wanted to prove to the athletes, listen, you have eight minutes. There's no doubt you don't have eight minutes. So we start with an eight-minute mobility circuit. Um, quite honestly, I, I love it. I do it almost every day for myself. Uh, then from there we go into a dynamic warm-up. So, you know, your knee hugs, your ankle grabs, the world's greatest stretch. Uh, we'll get the elastic bands out, get some activation going, and then we'll, we'll you know, we'll go into some fundamental uh, tennis-specific movements. I mean, we'll start with some basic shuffling, ramp it up, do some skips in there, uh, some very light plyometrics, some pogo jumps, some hops, just to, to get the body ready for the, for the rigors of the court. And, um, you know, if they want to do some shadowing at the end, that's up to them and they're, they're ready to go. So long, long story and answer, I would say about, uh, 20, 25 minutes. 
Cool. Good stuff, Dean. Appreciate that, you know, very specific step-by-step there. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy that. Uh, funny story, you know, when I remember at, at one, like, championship <laughs> tournament when I was a junior, I was like 16. Not very bright of me, but I, I would tell myself, oh, I need to save as much energy as possible. Like, if I go warm up, I'm going to get tired. And then I remember Tread Huey's mom, who's actually, you know, he's a, yeah. he's a professional doubles player. Um, yeah, yeah. So his mom, like, Dive saw me sitting in the car and knocked uh, on the window said go warm up you have to play soon you know so yeah but i've i've learned gradually thanks to you guys uh <laughs> but you know it's funny if you can sorry if you continually perform this warm-up and and i think this this is a really important takeaway to me it's not just a warm-up it's a learning session also i mean it's it's a corrective it's a learning session imagine doing three, four sprints in every warm-up and, and, and working on mobility, that's 20 minutes every day. If you're doing it five days a week, that's 100 minutes. And in the space of a month and a year, you've, you're able to get a lot more out of that than just warming yourself up. You can get some gains, whether it's you know in terms of your speed, your movement, your mobility. It's huge and should not be disregarded so easily. For sure. I mean, would you say, Dean, that you know, the average USTA player could even take that warm up of 25 minutes and maybe have it be like a morning workout or evening workout to just improve in general those skills. Well, at a certain point, that that's a great question, Maribyrn, because at a certain point, it's really hard to tell where the warm up doesn't sometime cross over into your fitness routine, because I, I'm a big, big believer in warming up and then doing some type of speed and agility drills right away. I mean, what better way to get you ready for the court? You're gonna be fresh, so the gains that you can get from this are gonna be huge, because the body's fresh, it's gonna be able to do whatever you want it to do, and your performance will just be top notch. Yeah, for sure, Dean. And then switching to after your match or your training session, I was curious, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard uh, some experts say that you know, you can still stretch like hours after playing and, and still have benefits. I was wondering, is there an optimal time for stretching? Is it always right after you play? I mean, how does that work? You know, you're just on fire with the questions today, but it, it's, it's, it's really solid. Um, it's, it, it makes me think of a lot of things. So first off, off of my head, I, I like if it can be done right away, right after. I think that that's a, that's a good thing for, for, for it to occur. A lot of times optimal situations are not optimal. Like you can't have that period of stretching you want. Player has to uh, leave, has to go to, you know, at times when I was on the tour, they have to do press. So listen, they do it before they do it after. I think it's really important that it gets done. I've spoken to other physiotherapists about this. Some of them don't really care when it gets done as long as it gets done before night's end. But one thing I would not leave, since we're talking about recovery, and I just posted something on my Instagram account about recovery uh, Monday, yesterday. Listen, if you're not hydrating properly, if you're not taking care of yourself from a nutrition standpoint, if you're not doing the small things, the other stuff doesn't really matter. You know, if you're not sleeping properly, quality of sleep, you know, you hear about, oh, I, I, I got I got the the ice bath going, I got these these compression boots, you know, which which are awesome. But you gotta take care of the small things first before you start looking at the other stuff. Yeah, hundred uh, percent, Dean, just to hammer that point, I'm gonna drink some water. 
<laughs> Go for it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hydrate. No, but that's true. You know, the, the stretching might not matter, but you better eat within, you know, they say an hour and now, you know, not now, but for a while now, it's really within that first half hour. When you're athlete or if you finish playing a match, try and get something, a smoothie into you or some type of, of shake of whatever type, healthy, obviously not a McDonald's uh, chocolate shake, but uh, something healthy into you as soon as possible. Your cells are at their most receptive and it's just going to help you for the next day if you got to play again and or practice. Great stuff, Dean. And so I don't know how much you go into like diets and whatnot, but I mean, there's a lot of different diets out there and people want to experiment. I mean, do you think, let's take maybe intermittent fasting. Do you know any top level players who do something like that and are still successful? I, I don't know if, if a top-level player really has to do intermittent fasting. I mean, there's a lot of – first of all, people do it mainly because of uh, – for weight loss. And I don't think there's any players out there that are so in need of weight loss. Yes, intermittent fasting has a lot of other benefits. Uh, for example, you know um, – why is nothing coming to my mind right now? So I am drawing a blank, but uh, something weight for, um, but no, but there's weight loss, but also um, inflammation, very good oh, for yeah, inflammation. Yeah. I have a, I have a good friend that's doing it for inflammation because his body's just completely wrecked. But I don't think intermittent fasting, I mean, we have to remember all these other diets and these fads are th out there are really for weight loss. If you're doing a keto diet or something, you're, you're a professional athlete. You have to eat for your sport, you know, and, and, if you're gaining weight because you're a, and you're a professional athlete, I think you really have to start looking at either the amount of calories you're taking in or the type of food that you're taking in. Got it. Got it, Dean. Yeah. So we're going to try to kind of go through the progressions. I might, you know, butcher this, but you know, go first on. we want to <laughs> first we and you'll correct me. First we want to get the flexibility and mobility, make sure that's that's good and make sure that your range of motion is in good shape. And then we want to go on to yes. kind of the basics of the proper movement. And, and then once we get that down, then what do you suggest the approach should be to increase our, or maybe our explosive power? I mean, is this like mainly movement drills? Is this mainly weights? Is this a combination? Like, how do you attack that? I would say it's yes to everything. I don't think it's one thing in, in general. I mean, maybe if you have an athlete that shows no power output, then Definitely, you'd want to see a, a good plyometric training program around there. And then I would definitely want to see what their strength level is. I mean, relative to their body size. I mean, it's all about uh, strength. I mean, you're moving your own body. Um, a bigger engine in a car that weighs the same amount will just move faster also. The, the drills you use I, are really, really important also. I, I love using elastic bands, resistant bands uh, with my athletes. I think that really teaches them. It's not so much, it doesn't make you stronger, but it does teach you how to drive through the ground and creating that, you know, that reactive uh, power output through the ground. That, that's, that's had a lot of benefit uh, for the athletes that I've worked with and, and really, in some cases, can be, can be quite dramatic quickly. Got it, Dean. Appreciate that. So if we, are, if we have a training program where we're doing some, you know, some lateral movement drills and some sprinting and then we're doing some like squats and deadlifts, do you think that's a, a, a program that will facilitate like explosive power? Or is there, do we need more in that? Cause I feel like that's kind of the average for a lot of people. Um, 
<clears throat> for the movement, I think, you know, you really, uh, for, we're talking tennis, so specific for tennis players, once you feel comfortable that the tennis player has the basic movement down and they are technically sound, um, I really believe in very specific movement drills uh, for the athlete. Um, again, with the bands, either they're pulling you towards something, you're pulling them towards it, which has different effects. So let me clarify that. If I'm standing on the right side of an athlete and I'm holding them and they want to go to their left, they really have to push off with their right leg to get away from me. So that would be their split step and their movement away. And as they're coming back, there's a little bit of an overdrive happening there because I am pulling them back. So it's teaching them to be a little quicker. And then their deceleration phase is really pronounced because of the pull but forward. And the, you know, the other side of the coin is if I stand on the other side and they shuffle towards me and I pull them, now we're working on, on that over, overstride type of training again too that I think is very impossible. With, with the power output in the gym and the strength training in the gym, you know, squats are great. Uh, we don't really, you know, we squat at the beginning of the year just to set, set our foundation. I think single leg exercises are huge. Um, and you really have to work the posterior chain. I mean, you have to work the glutes and you really have to work the hamstrings, whether that's, you know, from, you know, single leg deadlifts or, you know, Nordic type of uh, exercises. Uh, those are really, really important. Dean, what's what's the Nordic uh, exercise? So the Nordic, I mean, there's the Nordic and then there's the, the ham glute one, which is almost the same thing. So the Nordic, imagine you're kneeling on the ground and I'm holding the back of your legs and you maintain your body in a really, really straight line and you fall forward towards the ground. Now, most people, a large, a significant percentage of people go down and just, you know, hit the ground and they got to do a push up. Hopefully they don't crash. I mean, that's the first words you want to tell them, but they come down, they push themselves back up. What I really want to see is the athlete come down under great control and then even be able to come back up. I mean, that is a really great show of strength. That's really solid. Good stuff, Dean. So if we're by ourselves, could we just like um, try and secure our, our feet or something like underneath something? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Uh, it, at our gym, there's a couple of benches that are low enough that if you put your feet underneath it, uh, you know, or you can you can rig something up that that your that your feet will stay in place and you're you know you're pretty much pinned down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. I- I heard on, I, I'm not sure if it's a Tim Ferriss show, but there was like a, a trainer at Nike who trained Serena Williams. And he said something to the effect of that the hex bar deadlift is very reflective of yeah. like the power output of uh, of like tennis players, I guess. Do you, does the hex bar come into your, your routines that you uh, give out for players? Yeah, 100%. I love the hex bar, especially if we're in a in a really strength phase because it really allows the athletes. I mean, it's if you if you've never used it, I really recommend you know people try it because it just makes everything so simple. I mean, yeah. you, there's nothing on the athlete's back. You know, one of the things with tennis players, they have a hard time with external rotation. So when you have a bar on the back of your neck and you have to get that hand, you know, both hands behind your head to get there. Listen, if I'm sitting tall here and I don't have good external rotation, right away, the first thing I do is I arch my back to get my hands behind the bar. Well, already I'm not in a great position, especially for my lower back. So the hex bar kind of takes takes care of that. 
and and the young uh, the young athletes love it. I mean, you can really get some serious strength going there and just be like a beast. Yeah, I love it. Sure. I love it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. But so you you mentioned that you you do squatting like in the beginning of the season. So I guess once you you have that like general strength, that's that's when you go to like specific and then you kind of like shove aside like the regular deadlifts and squats for the most part. So yeah, at at the beginning you it's twofold. Yeah, it's it's to build like 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 you just said, like a nice foundation, general strength. It's also to get everybody on the same page. Because when I have 12 to 15 athletes, at the beginning of the year, I'm trying to teach. Even if they've been with me for a lot, for, for a few years, I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what's expected of them in terms from performing a specific exercise. I will get new athletes that come into the program, so they have to learn all this stuff too. And it's just, it creates a solid foundation. Once we get there, and we just started going into this a little while ago, then we can start getting a little more, I don't want to say fancy because it's not the appropriate word at all, but a little more specific perhaps, let's say, with a Bulgarian split. You know, it's a rear elevated um, split squat, lateral lunges, crossover step ups, step ups, uh, a single leg Romanian deadlift. you know, which I just think is money. I think that's that's really, really valuable for the lower body, yeah. Awesome. So kind of switching, yeah. Dean, to, to the serve, I think a lot of people, I mean, myself included sometimes, like we have trouble, you know, sinking our body so that we can get a very explosive serve. So I was wondering if there's any sorts of um, exercises or anything that you do with your athletes to, to help them really sync up the body so that you can get into a great uh, trophy position and then just explode up. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll take us right back to the beginning of our conversation again. That a lot, I mean, this is, if we're talking about serve in the trophy position, if, if the athlete in question doesn't have good ankle mobility, doesn't have good internal hip mobility, doesn't have a good side bend, you know, thoracic rotation, listen, you can scream at them all day. It yeah. won't matter. They won't get there. Yeah. But what we do is we practice, we practice, you know, uh, box jumps on one leg you know we'll start box jumps jumping on two legs and then landing on one and then jumping off of one leg and even jumping off a step and learning how to land properly so those are the those are certain things i think with the serve the important part is and with a lot of the power stuff if if it's the serve or forehand or a backhand it's learning how to generate power from the ground up, you know, and, and they'll laugh at me. I say, okay, you got to feel the ground. And I get looks like, and I know what they're thinking. They're going, we're, we're standing on it. How can we not feel the ground? But I want you to push into the ground. So we're working on some stuff today with med ball throws. And I had them doing some elastic work today, just, just to challenge them to, to feel how their foot has to push through the ground. And it's generating that force from the ground up through the legs, through the core, which is really important because if your core is weak, then you're going to have leakages and and then you're not going to have that transfer of power into your upper body. But learning how to coordinate it. So some of the exercises you can do is like a squat overhead med ball throw, you know, where you come down into the salt, you toss the med ball up. That That's a great thing too. Just teaching how to sink it all together because once you get the timing right, with the ground force reaction, I'm telling you, awesome, Dean. beast mode. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. One, one question I have is, I'm curious, like, when we're moving on the court, like, how much bend or how low to the ground should we be? Or does that just vary depending on, on your, your body? Because I've, I've had coaches who, you know, that when we're, we're moving, they say to get, like, really low to the point where I feel like I, you know, I can't move as fast. So I was wondering, you know, how, how to approach that. Are you doing the limbo that you're so far down there or like <laughs> mambo or no, limbo? Or... <laughs> no, just doing yeah. a heavy knee bend, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think, um, first of all, taller athletes have a tougher time getting down. I mean, it, that's just, that's just a function of, of their body type. What you see a lot of times is as athletes start getting tired, they start coming up higher. Obviously legs are getting tired and that's why sometimes you see a first set, someone can dominate put all their juice into it and and not do as well in the second set because they're not playing at the level they should be. How low can you go? Um, I'm having a hard time quantifying this. I mean, it would really be more of a visual, but I think, you know, in a good athletic position, whatever you think that is, maybe, um, I don't want to be quoted here, but let's say like a 30, 30, you know, but 90, I, I guess 130 degree bend or, 30 degree bend. I'm, I'm, I was never very good with geometry, so uh, I, I got a visual <laughs> yeah, of that, but I, I hope I got my point across slightly. So, yeah, no, no. I, th- I think that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of hard, like you said, to without like actual visual, but um, yeah, I, I just felt like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry, because I saw this today and it made me think of it. So, I had one junior athlete that was, you know, doing a med ball throw against the wall in, in a neutral stance and she was actually throwing the ball and coming down as she threw it, you know, almost getting into that really low position. And I don't think that's the best way in creating power. You want to be low and actually coming up through it and generating and throwing that power through the ball or, or the racket in this case. Got it. Sounds good. Sounds good, Dean. So before we started recording, uh, we, you know, had a great little conversation, but we were talking about kind of the dangers of, certain people or organizations sometimes posting uh, videos that maybe teach incorrect principles or forms or whatnot, uh, techniques. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about that concept as well. I'd love to, actually. Um, I always always say that social media has been an amazing thing and also a detriment to the fitness industry. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that. I was talking to a yoga instructor today at our club Uh, exactly about this. And she said, yeah, some of the things I see in yoga is just, it's like, it's ridiculous, but you know, there's a lot of good quality out there. And if you're a young coach or if you're a parent or you're an athlete that's looking for good quality, there's a lot of stuff. You just have to know where to look. And, and one of the things I find nowadays is that people have become so hyped up in the amount of followers they have in the amount of likes they get for posts that it almost seems sometimes almost Cirque du Soleil-ish uh, things that are going on. No one does – you put a, a basic squat out there, you won't get any type of 
you know, feedback or, or response to it. But if you jam together six exercises and have the athlete sprint, run, bound, hit, jump, everything, people are going, this is the best thing since sliced bread. So I would really hope that people perhaps take a little more of a serious look and stuff that they promote, especially organizations that have a lot of followers and not just to put stuff out there to gain more followers or because it's a friend of yours, but because it is good quality content. And I think the more we can do that, the better we'll be able at moving forward together. Yeah, for sure, Dean. I think the danger there is, you know, some of us can distinguish uh, that, oh, you know, this is purely entertainment. It should not be used as like an actual training mm-hmm. program. But then you have a lot of especially younger kids who might think, oh, I need to do this to to help me, you know, perform better when in fact it could be detrimental and, and listen, unsafe and all that. I, you're 100% right. And and I think for the young, young athletes out there, you, if, you're follow, if you're following someone that's doing this unbelievable program, and it, regardless of what it is, you have to remember, they didn't do this program when they were 14, 15, 16 years old. They're doing it today when they're in the top whatever of the world. <laughs> and what they did when they were younger is most likely and hopefully was a lot different. And that brings the same story that comes to mind every time when I was working at the gym and I saw a father and his son working out. And I said, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? Because it was just, it was wild. Like, I'm, I was surprised the kid didn't break in half. And he goes, oh, no, don't worry. And it was a famous hockey player. And he goes, it, it's it's so-and-so's workout. And I'm like, like, what do you answer to that? You know, like, the father's bought into it. The kid's excited because it's an idol of his that he's, you know, the same program he's doing. It, it Sometimes it's a very tough hill to to climb and to face when you're a coach, when people are buying, not in terms of money, but just buying into a system that is inappropriate for a certain age group or fitness level. Right, exactly. And that's why we go back again to, you know, the racket fit concept where you have to actually assess so that you know, like what you're capable of doing instead of just jumping into yeah. some crazy program. So, um, Dean, as far as, um, let's see, as far as like, um, in the gym, you know, when you see people doing certain exercises, are there any exercises that you just think are either uh, like a complete waste of time where somebody shouldn't even be like where it doesn't help at all for your tennis, you know, like it may be, you know, because there could be some of us out there who are doing some of these. So maybe this could help, you know, eliminate that time wasting or, or on the other hand, also, you can maybe like pick out an exercise that maybe there's a better one out there to do that's helps more something like that. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because uh, this is this is good. Uh, this is like a good psychology session uh, to let to let it all out. One exercise that just drives me mental, and I can't even begin to tell you how insane it makes me is burpees. Like, what is the purpose of the burpee? I mean, people are doing it for what reason? They don't do it properly, and it's done. A thousand of them. Some some gentleman just broke the the world record for burpees or something in five hours or something. It's crazy. Um, you know when you see people just diving down and and you see the the hands and the shoulder and and the humerus being shoved into the the shoulder complex. I mean, it's really not for tennis players. I mean, if you're doing burpees, I mean, come on. There's so many. If you're just trying to tie yourself out, do me a favor. 
find a court, go do some sprints. I mean, that, that, that's really specific. Uh, I, I just think that's money for sure. I, to avoid that is really, really important. Right. So like maybe it's like it'll help with your endurance, but it's just too risky in terms of like your body, what you're doing with it and the humerus and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Well, you know, it's, it's just it's just every time it hits and, and the way the, the way they go down and then the push up looks like, a, a you know, a, a really bad banana and the jump is no good. I, I just don't see the point of it. And, you know, all that stuff of doing 50 box. I saw someone doing literally 50 box jumps in a row the other day. It's 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 a plyometric exercise. It's it's not a conditioning exercise. So I, I, I would stay away from that. What would be really, really solid? I think some of my favorite exercises, I think for, uh, you got to have a strong upper body and I think pull-ups are really solid. If you can do a few pull-ups on your own properly, which means coming all the way up and all the way down, that is one. And, you know, the Bulgarian split squat with the Romanian deadlift uh, for the lower body is huge. And you can't forget about your core, Marban. I think uh, the core is essential and to train it properly. And don't do, you know, crunches and sit-ups. Uh, don't bother. Got it. And and not to do crunches and sit-ups because... Uh. Okay, so <laughs> here, this is this is the other soapbox that's coming now. But all joking aside, I mean, if, if you look at the work of Dr. Stuart McGill, I mean, he showed through using um, fetal pig spines uh, that he, cre- he created this machine and it, it replicated the action that the spine goes through for a sit-up. Eventually, a disc will will explode. It'll bust, okay? So let's say, let's say for example, you don't believe that. You go, oh, no, I've been doing sit-ups my entire life. They're fine. And listen, there are some people I'm sure that have been doing sit-ups, and they are fine. It's, it's, you know, it's not one, uh, one thing for everyone. But let's suppose that there is the possibility that it is bad on your discs. Let's be honest with each other. Tennis is not the easiest thing on the body. So why would you go and and possibly take a risk when there's no risk needed to be taken, when there's so many other exercises that can produce the same effect and and probably a better effect? You could be insane. You could be. That's always (laughs) a possibility. Listen, anything's possible. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. No, I I appreciate you you, uh, highlighting that. there's something else I was going to ask you. Yeah. Uh, so one one thing uh, I'll just segue to this and then try to remember what I was going to ask you. But uh, as as far as um, books, <laughs> you know, three books maybe that you would gift a friend to help them with either their movement or just general fitness that you can uh, suggest, perhaps. That's a great question. I'm happy. I'm in my office right now <laughs> and I'm looking at the books yeah. uh, because uh, so. You know, a great cook's movement book, I think that's really, really uh, solid. So that really starts teaching you about um, good movement patterns. And, you know, it talks about the FMS in there. Um, I got to go with, I'm a huge Mike, Michael Boyle fan. So I'm looking at his functional training for sports. I also bought all his videos. I'm more of a video guy when it comes to that. I like to see uh, what is happening. And... Um, Whew, what would be my last one if I would have to choose? You know, there's a book out there called uh, Explosive Power and Strength by Donald Chu, which was put out quite a few years ago. I mean, he was really huge into plyometrics. I think that's a really solid book. And the thing is, I'm sure I'm going to get off with you. 
And also just uh, remember two more. One more. Uh, bridging the gap from rehab to performance with Sufal zoning is amazing. And I also mentioned Dr. Stuart yeah. McGill. Um, uh, I, I forget what it's called. I, I don't have them here. Uh, I, I, oh, lower back, lower back. Yeah, how to not explode this. But lower back disorders <laughs> with Dr. Stuart McGill. That's it. Uh, is phenomenal. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that was close. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate that, Dean. And we'll have those books, uh, links to those books on the show notes page. Yeah. Oh, yes. So one of my questions is, and this is, you know, it's it's a byproduct of what I've been doing. So I, I lately I've been enjoying running. You know, it's quite cold actually these days, but I like challenging myself. And so I'll... I'll You're telling me it's cold? Oh, yeah. I'm speaking <laughs> to a, a beautiful Canadian man here, and uh, he knows he knows the deal. But, you know, even for us, it's been kind of cold in the morning, but I actually really enjoy running a few miles. And, and But then I kind of thought to myself, you know, maybe I, my endurance is increasing a little bit, but am I is this detrimental to my my explosive movements. I was wondering how you train your athletes for endurance. Do you ever have them do any long distance training or is it just like more or sets of explosives and that's how they get their endurance? We don't do any jogging whatsoever. Zero jogging. I, I'm really anti-jogging for a few reasons. A, the movement patterns that are developed through jogging, if you ever watch um, young athletes or just a even athletes. I, I can remember being at Indian Wells where they have the big grass field there and all the athletes are, and you watch them run around and it's, there's nothing. It's just, it's this really slow movement that isn't of value really, if you will. Your endurance training, I mean, if you're looking, if you're going, let's say you're going for long jogs and you're saying, okay, I want to work on my aerobics, right? I want to work on my aerobic capacity. Listen, when you're doing when you're doing drills, you're doing warm-ups, I'm sure for a lot of this stuff that your heart rate is at 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. So you're getting that type of aerobic activity anyways. When you're running your interval trainings, your recovery, you're dropping into an uh, into aerobic zone. So I, I truly don't see the benefit of of running and I'm I really keep it away from the younger athletes too because I am convinced that jogging makes them slower and also going back to the to the movement patterns that I don't want to see because jogging and sprinting are completely two different animals I mean if you're making heel toe contact from your heel to your toe and you're trying to be fast it is not going to happen. Got it, Dean. So, I mean, if it's something that maybe you enjoy, maybe like a couple times a week, so okay, as long as you're actually training properly, you know, in your normal training regimen, you would say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm never going to tell you, listen, don't do it. I mean, if, if, you, if you tell me like, listen, it's a great stress release, I feel better, I feel great with it, hey, by all means, don't go, I, I wouldn't encourage an hour run. First of all, when you start running, depending on where you're, are you running on the street? Yeah, I'm running on the street. For yeah. example, or, yeah, or so a lot of people would, or a tre treadmill, not the, I'm not a big fan of yeah, running on the treadmill either, because every time, the, the, well, it's jarring, but also every time you put your foot down on the treadmill, your foot gets brought along, and uh, brought along, the hamstring's pretty much falling asleep, so it, it's not the best thing. And I've actually, I've actually heard reports, uh, you know, of athletes did a lot of treadmill running in the off season and, and pull a hamstring early on in the season. So 
your, your training has to be specific to your sport. I mean, you're never jogging around the court 65 yeah, times. Yeah, and whenever I tried to jog, you know, inside and eat donuts, they kick me out. I don't know. It's, it's for outside. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. I just make dumb jokes sometimes. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know what they say. Behind every joke, there's a little bit of truth. And also the the, the jogging. I mean, it's it's a lot of wear and tear on, on the joints. Yeah. I mean, every time you hit the ground, I mean, it's a lot of wear and tear. And if you're practicing on hard court, it will take its toll. You know, I was at a conference a while ago and I heard this one uh, strength conditioning coach go, you know, I'm working with a player and he had a, a, a fitness program uh, for conditioning on a bike and he, he was completely against it. And, you know, you don't you're never on a bike on a court. And I thought about it for a while. And, it's, you know, it's really important that you kind of see both sides to every story. And I thought there's some truth of that. That's very true. It's not something I'd want to do, like just prior to a big tournament. But there's also a different side of that. I mean, if you have a tennis player that's on the court four hours a day and you want to do a little bit of extra conditioning, you're going to start pounding them into the ground even more. Maybe the bike isn't the worst thing to do every so often or a versa climber or whatever it is. I mean, you can still get your heart rate up there and it's a different type of form of cross training. So, you know, you, you have to weigh the pros and cons on sure, everything. Dean. Just going back to the uh, pull-ups, I actually had this on my list. I was wondering, let's see, so what are the benefits for tennis players for, for the pull-up? Because you said that you like that exercise quite a bit. And then, I mean, you know, when we talk about the form for the pull-up, do you primarily advocate for the, the type of where you're not, like, swinging your body, like, you know, the CrossFit ones where they're, like... Swinging up and down. <laughs> he's he's wagging his finger, everybody on just audio. <laughs> no, listen. Uh, CrossFit is CrossFitters train for CrossFit. That's fine. If you're gonna start swinging, jarring your shoulders, and trying all that stuff, again, my number one priority in the gym is you don't get hurt. I mean, besides everything else, we want to make gains, we want to get better. But if you get hurt on my watch, it's me. Okay. Anything that happens in that gym is because of me and I take full responsibility for it. So regardless if someone has an injury because of whatever it is, it could be shin splints. And we've been so fortunate this year. We have, we've had no injuries except for shin splints and, and that's really tough to combat. I mean, people have taken maybe a day off here or there and that's just recovery because they've over, they've overtrained a little. We've been very fortunate. I take it extremely seriously. And anything that happens, I mean, I want to be on top of it and, and get to the root of the problem. So was that your question? I think I went off on a tangent. Which no, 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 that was sometimes. good. That's perfect. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and so, Dean, as far as like splitting up uh, different modalities, if that's the right word, of training, like how do you do that? I mean, do you do you have like a couple of days of um, – you know, movement training, a couple of days of weights, yeah. uh, you know, how does that work yeah. for you? Usually, you know, yeah. people are different, yeah. but how does it usually work? It's, it, I had someone ask, ask me this question, uh, got in contact with me and asked me, how do you arrange it? And sometimes, it, sometimes, and this isn't to answer your question right away, but sometimes yeah. you just have to deal with what you're given. Okay. Cause this year I had a little better schedule with, with the athletes. Cause last year we trained every day, four to five. And that's not ideal because it goes from two to five, right? So our program is two to five fitness. Every day was four to five. That's not the best thing for speed and power development. 
Yeah. It's just if you're not. tired after tennis, right? Exactly. The kids are coming. Yeah. The, the the athletes are coming, and they're already tired. Yeah. Was it good for weight training and conditioning? It was fine. So this year, what we did. Monday and Wednesday, we train uh, four to five. So those are really our lifting days. And then Tuesday and Thursdays, we train two to three. Yeah. So we'll work on plyometrics. We'll work on speed, agility, or movement stuff on those days. Friday's a bit of a wild card day. Uh, sometimes there's yoga. Sometimes it's just a fun day. And some days it's a circuit day. So with that plan, I'm much happier but ideally, if you had to structure it, and I think this is important, if you had to structure it throughout the course of the day, obviously you start with your 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 warm up, then you would go into your speed and agility, your plyometric training, and now you can make the argument which one you'd want to do first. You know, to me it depends. Speed, I would want to do speed personally. I would want to do speed right away, and then go into some plyometric training, your tennis training. Weight training at the end, finished off with some type of uh, conditioning and obviously recovery at the end. Got it, Dean. And how about for the average adult recreational or USA league or whatever league player who like maybe let, let's just give you like a scenario. Maybe they've got like four days or five days max to like do one specific thing. Maybe either that's like only tennis or only weights or only, you know, like training, like how... Would you, how would you structure that? I mean, you know, maybe three days of tennis and then a day of agility, a day of weights. I mean, does that sound like, I mean, um, I would add my next question would be, well, how much time do you have per day? Yeah. Cause if, if you only have an hour, then it becomes really restrictive. And I think we kind of touched that at the beginning where again, you know, anybody that comes to me for, for training for tennis and I'll be like, okay, listen, can you get your warm up in? Can you give me 15 minutes for a warm up? Yeah. Can you give me 10 minutes somehow for speed and agility? Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you do it three times a week, there's 30 minutes, you know, four times a week, we're already at two hours of speed and, and agility training in a month for your average recreational player. That is a lot of work actually. And I, I would say, can you go, get in the gym maybe twice a week? And, you know, people don't have to be, people don't have to be in the gym for three hours to train. Do a full body, get everything done, spe you know, specific to tennis, taking care of the shoulders and, and, and the core, keeping the legs strong. You could be in and out in 30 minutes as long as you're not on your phone. Wow. The huge, huge, this last yeah. minute, what you were talking about is great. I mean, I love how, you know, a lot of people you know, they'll schedule like, they'll say, oh, I'll do like an hour or something. And then they quit, you know, after a couple of sessions because they think they don't have enough time when you can actually spend even as little as 10 minutes and, and, you know, focus energy. And then you're, you know, even though that sounds like a little bit of time, you're actually over the course of a, a, a while, you know, you're compounding your, your progress there. Yeah. Um, so it, it can just be a little bit of time and you'll improve. Yep. I uh, love that. Love that, Dean. Uh, gonna move on a little bit, just slightly to tech. I mean, are there any sorts of tech that you're using with your students, your athletes, that you found has really helped? You know, whether that's an app, whether that's some sort of like smartwatch or anything like that that, that you found has helped a lot with the training. Um, what what I do a lot, I do a lot of video videotaping, um, really, and I really don't need an app for that type of stuff. I know there's apps out there, but the the iPhone uh, video is is fine. It gets done. Um, there's a couple apps that I use for testing. 
um, you know, that'll measure that you can put in a person's pocket and it's not extremely reliable, but it'll tell you how high they jumped, uh, which is really cool. Some apps for, for measuring a, you know, a 10 yard, a 10 meter, 40 yard sprint. Um, uh, I, I would love for all our kids to be wearing heart rate monitors. I think that would be really great if we could do that, but it's just not something that happens to be in people's budget. So, uh, we're not very techy techy, if you will. The one thing I do though, and it, it's, I guess you could say it's old school is I write out all my programs in a binder. Like I don't do it on the computer. I like have, I like writing it out so I can on that day I can have it and just, I mean, the, the kids laugh cause they look at it and it's like, they can't even read my handwriting, but it just has my thoughts for that day in a certain order. And, um, it's to any coach. I mean, if you, you got to show up prepared to, to practice, if you expect your athletes to be prepared, you should be prepared also. 100% there. And, uh, when you talk about having it handwritten, like, do you just have it in that traditional type of like grid where you have, you know, the type of exercise and then actually I forget what, but how do you, how do you structure the, the paper? <laughs> oh man. So, um, there's two different things that we're talking about here. So my notebook is literally notes. Like I'll write today. I'll, I'll like, for example, today I wrote, um, we did, um, split squat jumps. We did, um, thoracic rotations with an elastic. We did neutral stance, uh, throws, and then we did a core exercise. So everyone did three rotations of that. Um, and then there's something that the, the athletes have, they have their own workout sheet. So when they're in their gym, it, it's like you're saying, here's, it says Bulgarian split squat, set one, yeah. eight reps, 25 pounds, yeah. set two, you know, seven reps, 35 pounds, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then we, we'll work on that for four to six weeks. I love how we're writing up in the air though. As we're, <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are recording video here, so we might have that yeah. up for people. So. We might have to put that one in. Yeah. 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 Good stuff, man. <laughs> Wow, it's a very nice uh, board you got there. Uh, um, so here's a fun question for you. Hopefully, yeah. have fun. If you could write any message that you wanted on a billboard that would be posted in the most highly trafficked area uh, in Montreal, let's say, yeah. what would what would you have it say? In regards to anything, anything, yeah, really anything, anything that you think gives you know would help people. It yeah, could be about I, anything. You know really. what? The, there's two things that come to mind, and and one of them is one that I always express, and and I honestly believe in. People don't care how much you know until they know you care, and I think that as a coach, mm -hmm. yes. that that is that's gold. I mean, if you're just there because you're just interested in making money, and you just you're just there to collect, and you're not interested in the person in front of you. Do us get out. Do us all a favor and get out because you're not helping the industry. And we're only yeah. as strong as our weakest link. And I hate when I hear people talk about coaches like, oh, he's just interested in the money or they don't give anything else. I mean, over, you know, over deliver would be, you know, that sec over deliver. Tell somebody you're going to do something and give them more and watch Watch, watch the look on their face. I, I just got a literally, I, honest to God, I got a text message from a mother yesterday. Uh, her son comes to me, he's 22, and 
I, I've given them some extra time because, you know, it, it's not cheap, you know, all the lessons and the trainings and everything. And I, I have an extra 50 minutes. I'm happy to give him that. And she sent me the nicest text. Message. That means the world to me. That's that means more to me than anything. And and the last the last last billboard is and I'm not going to get this right, but I've read it a few times, Maribyrn, where it's people not may not remember you or the circumstances, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so when people come to me, especially in a private setting, mm. I really want that to be enjoyable. I'm not saying we're going to play games and and have, you know, just laugh and, and, and eat chocolate, but I want them to feel good about themselves. You can still be a, a, a solid coach, you know, a, a coach that demands a lot from your athletes but you can still have them feel like they've accomplished something that they would not have been able to without mm-hmm. your help. Love that. Two great billboards. Relatedly to the, maybe the last few things that you said, uh, what what would you say to those out there who they're kind of struggling mentally where they, you know, they know that they have to get in shape, but they're you know, not sure that they can do it. I mean, what type of advice would you have for these people? You know, what, what maybe next little step that they could take to get the ball rolling? Yeah. And it's really an interesting time of year to bring this up because we're getting to the point where all the new year's resolutions are going to start coming. And it's amazing how many, I I forget the numbers after a week or something, 70% fall through. Yeah. Start, just start, do something. And no matter how small it is. Yeah. Do something because people get overwhelmed with what's in front of them. One step at a time. I mean, if you, if uh, we're talking really about weight loss here, if, if you're really looking to lose and you have like a lot of weight to lose, let's say it's 60, 70, a hundred pounds. Don't look at, at the end result of where you want one step at a time. Great to have an end goal, like in anything, in tennis, in any sport, end goals. But you need to have a lot of short-term goals and, and intermittent, you know, the medium range goals also. And just start. And it doesn't have to be for a long time. It could just be going out and starting to walk, you know, every day, 10, 15 minutes. Cut one thing out. You know, if, if you do not have good eating habits, cut one bad thing out. Be honest with yourself and cut it out. Maybe you drink too much soda. Maybe you drink too, you have too many donuts. Maybe you cut down the co- the sugar in your coffee. Maybe you cut this out. Cut one thing out. And I'm telling you, once you start getting into the habit of doing something, yes. it becomes easier. Once you start re- getting results, it becomes really rewarding of what you're doing. And I think that's the beautiful thing. And if you're looking just to get into shape, listen, the worst thing that you can do is look back and go, Oh my God, I remember 10 years ago, I was in such great shape and now my knee hurts and you know, my lower back, I can't do this. Yeah, that's 10 years ago. Let's go forward. Let's be positive. Talk positive. You know, you have to have those positive thoughts in your head. People are really cruel to themselves. People talk to themselves like, we, I talk to myself, I would never say half the things to you. I mean, you would not want to talk. We would not want a friend like that. But why do we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves like that? Yeah, it was wonderful, wonderful pieces of advice. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like, for example, you're talking about weight loss. You can, you can look at things many different ways, you know, positive or negative. Let's say I have 100 pounds to lose and I lose, you know, this is just making it up, but like, you know, a pound 
the next day, I can either celebrate and say, wow, I, I lost a pound, or I can say, oh my God, I have 99 more pounds to go. So it's mm-hmm. really about framing it positively and celebrating your wins. And also, like you mentioned, the consistency. Um, it's better to start small and just keep it going and build the habit in, in, you know, that way. Great stuff, Dean. Really appreciate it. Also, I mean, what have you been working on Lately, and also what is, as we've talked about a little bit, you know, you have a lot of exciting things coming down the pike. So talk about that. Well, um, 2020 is going to be really exciting year. I'm truly looking forward to it. And it really it kicks off pretty early in the year um, where I'm headed to Norway for a PTR event. So we're going to be having um, uh, meetings. Uh, PTR developed or put together a educational board, which I'm extremely proud to be part of. So we'll be having meetings there, and then there is a Norway PTR conference, which we'll be part of also, so I'll be lecturing there. Uh, From there, we fly pretty much to South Carolina for PTR week, where I'm going to be pretty busy uh, doing a workshop on the essentials of training uh, for tennis, and also uh, giving an on-court presentation on exactly the stuff we talked about today, so that was a good prep for me, um, on movement. And also teaching the ITPA uh, course, the TPT, the tennis uh, tennis performance training uh, certificate, level one. So that's going to be good. Um, I believe I headed to Dubai after that for a WTA event where um, I'll be teaching with Brian Parkinen, the WTA coaches, certifying the WT coaches through PTR. And then from that, heading back home, uh, Indian Wells, Miami, uh, uh, hopefully Italy in May, and then uh, London in June. So it's going to be quite busy. Really excited about all these ventures. Uh, some, it just gives me such uh, pride and joy, and I'm always excited to uh, talk and work with people and, and help out as much as I can. Yeah, you're you know you're one of the most genuine guys you know in the community, Thank and uh, really appreciate your passion and, and love for the sport, and just as you mentioned, just giving back. And uh, I mean, we need more people like you for sure. Um, yeah, anytime. Thank you. Um, where can we check out your uh, your program, Baseline Power? Where can we check that out? Yeah. So two things you can check out is uh, www.baselinepower.com, also www.deanhollingworth.com. Both of those will take you to the Baseline uh, Power products. Um, They're $59.99. It's over two hours of video. Um, You are nice enough to say that you've gotten a lot of positive feedback. I have too. I think they're, and not just because I've done them, I think they're really solid, especially compared to a lot of stuff out there, I, I would think it's it's very very good good stuff. Um, if you're interested in following me on Instagram at Dean MTL, uh, a lot of I, I love posting videos of yeah. the workouts, uh, various exercises. I think that's 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 pretty uh, good resource of uh, info also. For sure, yeah, I definitely really enjoy watching your videos, uh, Dean. Uh, you're doing a great job Thanks. with that. So, and uh, Dean, uh, I'll, I'll close with this um, question for you. It's a classic. I think I've asked you this probably like three <laughs> times already. Uh-oh. But uh, <laughs> I hope I've answered it well you once. You have. You certainly <laughs> have, my friend. So uh, I'll give it to you again. Uh, what is one key yeah. tip that you can give us to help us uh, improve and we'll go with our movement? Um, it, it's funny because I, I remembered my answer to this last time where I said, you know, people train – People play tennis to um, 
to uh, get into shape when they should get into shape to play tennis. I think that still rings true with the movement. I think movement really twofold. You, you need to assess to assess the body because as much as you want to do something, you're told to do it. If your body is not capable of doing it, it won't, it won't do it. Uh, secondly, I think attention to detail is actually quite, um, quite big. I have one video on, on my Instagram account that shows, I don't know if you remember it, but this, uh, you only see from the waist down and the foot movement at the beginning of the split step, which is really hard to pick up. But in slow motion, you can see that she is taking an extra 0.4, 0.5 seconds just to get out of the blocks. Yeah. Yeah. And we clean that, and you know, we clean that up pretty easily. I have to say, I mean, she's she's a great athlete, so I'm very lucky from that standpoint. And she's very eager to learn. But I think everyone can can become a better mover if you work at the basics. You know, you have to spend some time on developing the basics. If if you're just going out there and hoping for the best to move faster, it's not going to help. There's a lot of drills out there that will help you develop better movement. Listen and. I don't want to take up too much more time. You're not training to get better at the drill. The drill is helping you to get better at movement on the court. Let's remember that. You know, to scream that you got to run faster to a cone. It's not about that. The drill is supposed to elicit a response that will help you get better on the court. Awesome, Dean. Appreciate it. And just as an aside, I mean, you can speak broadly about it, but you said you cleaned up. Thanks. You you cleaned up like that, you know, that delay on the one side. Like, what did you do? Was it just certain drills that you did to help her clean it up? You know, it, it's it's funny because it wasn't – I just – I did a couple of things. A, I wanted her to feel what it was like. So I literally put her in the position she was supposed to be in after the split step with a hip turn and not doing that funky thing with her foot but, you know, driving off the ball of her foot. And I just had her roll over it and go into it. And then, you know, had her go do it a little at a little faster pace. And then I tried a couple of things. I, I brought in an elastic band. Again, elastic bands not only to make you stronger, but sometimes it'll put you in a position where you have to have better positioning. Otherwise, you know, crash and burn type of thing. You know, you just fall over. And she would have at this point. So I pulled her into it. And her body, you know, she learned really well. The key is, you, you know, I'm, it's oddly enough, I'm going to see her tomorrow night. We'll see if it's stuck. Awesome, Dean. Well, everybody, if you want to improve your fitness, if you want to improve your movement, uh, you definitely want to check out DeanHollingworth.com, BaselinePower.com, and also uh, check Dean out uh, on Instagram at, at DeanMTL. Are you also, uh, did you mention you're on Facebook as well? Uh, I'm, Twitter? On, I'm on Facebook. I Yeah, I have two two accounts on Facebook. I have Dean. I have two Dean Hollingworths. One is really my personal one where, you know, it's just stuff of everyday life. And then I have a Dean Hollingworth that is, completely dedicated to um to fitness yeah awesome man well dean uh yeah i mean we've been speaking for a while i could go on for hours but you know stuff to do but it's always a pleasure to connect with you my man and uh hopefully i'll see you at one of these live events at some point and that would be great it would be great actually how long are you going to be in like indian wells in miami is it the whole time or just a few days um miami would probably be really short and um uh, indian wells will be for a few days because i think there's a conference and we're teaching the wta uh, coaches course also so i'll be there for a little while 
Good to know. Okay, I'll I'll try to confirm those dates. Uh, I might try to come up there to one of those tournaments. That would be cool. So yeah, for sure. So uh, Dean Hollingworth, appreciate it. Uh, and like I said, you know, always a blast talking to you. And uh, really looking forward to the next time that we connect. And I'm sure I'll you know have you on the summit coming up next year. And uh, so we'll we'll be talking soon. So all the best to you and uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Maraben. First of all, thank you for tonight. It was a pleasure. The time flew by, which is the best compliment I can give you. Secondly, thank you. you are a tremendous person and you've done a tremendous amount of good for the tennis world community uh, in terms of every aspect of tennis. Uh, on, behalf of, on behalf of everybody, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, please continue your great work and best of the holidays and happy new year. Thank you, Dean. Happy holidays. Happy new year to you. And thank you for the kind words. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks buddy. Bye. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Dean Hollingworth. As I mentioned, uh, really a great guest and great person for the game of tennis and really grateful for all the contributions and people that he has taught and affected positively through all of his work. And uh, as we mentioned on the show, you'll definitely want to check out BaselinePower.com, DeanHollingworth.com, and also follow Dean on his social media platforms such as Instagram. He's at DeanMTL. And we'll have all the links that we mentioned on the show notes page, including the books that Dean mentioned and some of the resources like RacketFit.com, FunctionalMovement.com, etc. I would really appreciate it if you all would leave a Review for the Tennis Files podcast is very helpful in a couple of ways. One, it lets me know, uh, one, what I might be doing well, and also what I might be able to improve so that the show gets better and better each episode, hopefully. And uh, also, it helps to bring more visibility to the show um, when there's more subscribers and more um, reviews, and that helps a lot. Uh, helps the show um, go up the ranks and everything, and uh, that's helpful just because it's uh, more easily findable or searchable, one of those, uh, for everybody. So really would appreciate a review, and it could be as short as, or as long as you'd like. I also would like to leave you with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of a show. Uh, perhaps you'll find some sort of motivation or inspiration from it or knowledge, and this one is by... Estee Lauder and Estee said, I didn't get there by wishing for it or hoping for it, but by working for it. I mean, if you want to apply that to this episode, if you want to get fit, you can't just wish to get fit. You can't just hope to get fit. You just got to take the action. Like Dean said, you know, even eight minutes, an eight minute uh, warm up, uh, you know, a 10 minute speed and agility session, uh, you know, that as little as 10, 8 to 10 minutes of something, uh, even 5 minutes, can help you get on that positive track and build up the habit and the momentum. And you're going to see a lot of gains even from a seemingly small amount of time if applied consistently throughout your days and your, your routines. So great uh, quote there. And you know, once again, just really grateful, uh, you know, especially the time of the holidays and after Thanksgiving, very grateful for all of you for your support and kind messages. It really uh, keeps me going to hear positive effects that the podcast and my other content have had on you all. So uh, let me know about it. If something has helped you in your game or your life, then 
uh, let me know. I'm at mirabon at tennisfiles.com. Is that right? Yeah, my email, M-E-H-R-B-A-N at tennisfiles.com. Or leave a comment, you know, wherever on the show notes page or some article or wherever. So, yeah, thanks a lot for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks again to Dean for being a great guest as always. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more great interviews and podcasts in the horizon, if that's the right term. And hopefully some more puns too. So all the best to you. Have a great holiday season. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.